You're listening to your local public radio station, the Independence Broadcasting System, or IBS. I'm on Mutant Sloth, and it's because of the contributions from listeners like you that I'm able to stay in fresh Birkenstocks. Your free trade IBS tote bag is in the mail, so stop emailing us already. It's quality hemp. We should know. And that was a back episode of Saturday Morning Puff Piece Magazine Show, Additional Mornings. Coming up next is a classic episode of A Prairie Home Damn Dirty Drive-In with Harrison Freewheeler. I hear that hurdy-gurdy out of the blue. I grill the rutabagas and they taste like glue. Hi there, Harrison Freewheeler here. Coming to you from a car hop where the talent is subpar and the content below average. Next up in our summer encore series of A Prairie Home Damn Dirty Drive-In is an episode that aired way back in 2017 when the podcast went by a very different name and starring Mystery Science Theater 3000 show host Jonah Ray. Jonah sits down with the second cast of the Damn Dirty Drive-In featuring Greg Talley, Ryan Smith and Kate Page. We hope you enjoy, and God bless. Hey, the legal eagles over at Shout Factory want me to point out that this podcast does not represent Alternaversal, Shout Factory, or the Kickstarter campaign in any official capacity. It is made by fans, for fans, and anyone else who loves the show. Plus, we smell nice and we brush our teeth. Thank you. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jonah Ray. Oh my gosh, we have Jonah Ray, and he is joining us via Skype while we are broadcasting uh, from the Roof Lizard Lounge uh, in uh, the Dino Hotel above our restaurant Paleo Joe's in Lakewood, Colorado. So uh, we are thrilled to be here, and uh, we are have just finished watching in a marathon weekend uh, the entire uh, season 11. And Jonah, thank you for joining us. Oh no! Thanks for having me. It's uh, you guys have been really supportive and awesome this whole this whole process, this whole time. And as you guys are, you know, you've been aware of it the whole time. Have known that it's been a process, so it's it's nice to get to keep, catch up with you. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and we're we're uh, we we did what you said. We were going to have you on a few weeks ago, and you said no, no. Watch the new season first. Let's get into super spoilery stuff, and let's uh, talk about what you thought. So uh, we're going to do the Jonah Ray Spoilers Everything special. Uh, Minnesota Review, all the regular stuff is thrown out. We're going to just grill Jonah mercilessly 
uh, about all of this, and we've got uh, kind of a format. We're going to go through episode by episode. We're going to ask you a couple movie questions, a couple host segment questions, and then fan-submitted questions uh, from Deep 13, House of MST3K, uh, the MST3K Revival League, and folks who attended uh, the Dino Hotel Watch Along. A mm, couple from Twitter, too. So, so hey, we got to sing for our supper. Uh, so uh, th- this uh, whole podcast is sponsored by the uh, Dino Hotel. So why don't we play that uh, sweet, sweet Kevin Murphy composed jingle and uh, go ahead and roll the tape. The next time you travel to journey into one that you'll remember don't just sit around and wish when you can have an expedition at the dino hotel stretch snarl growl are you ready jonah let's make sure i don't disappoint people let's go <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> so uh 1101 reptilicus um, I've seen this episode five times now, and, and I enjoy the hell out of it. And uh, first question is, have you seen the cut Dirk Passer musical number posted on YouTube? No, I have not. There, There is uh, cut scenes that were in the Danish version that were in the American version uh, where uh, he has small children sitting in his lap, and he sings a song about reptilicus to people. So oh, that's crazy. Apparently, the Danish version was a musical. But wait, I mean, was it a musical or was there just a musical number? With uh, Dirk? That also his thing was his thing that like he would like he was like a comedy sing song guy. Like was was he instead of being our Andy Griffith, was he our um, oh I just forgot his name um, Dick Danny Van Kay or somebody Danny or... Kay, Dick Van Dyke. A little bit like that. It, it, it's it's a, a little. It hasn't held up well with time, uh, but it's uh, out on YouTube and, and worth watching. Dirk Passer sing about reptilians. Yeah, unlike the rest of re- reptilians, this hasn't <laughs> held up well. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's because also they cut out stuff where the, in the American version they cut out to where a reptilian can fly. Yeah. Yeah, which made it sort of odd that he had the wings and never used them in the American version. Yeah, exactly. Just a so let's talk about the show opening because there's a lot going on here. Um, yeah. I, I heard Joel, uh, when we did our set visit, throw around the names of a lot of different terms that may not have made their way yet out into the Mistyverse uh, for, for wider consumption and discussion. Tell us about the backjack, the ziggurats, uh, the boneheads, and why do you have to repeat the show opening each episode? Uh, okay, well, the backjack, that's my spaceship. That's my little uh, tow truck. Um, I, uh, I was collecting, you know, uh, a bunch of um, meteors um, for the Gizmonic Institute, and my backjack was kind of, it's just like a little tugboat, you know, tow truck thing. Um, and I, I, I have been developing a percussive drive uh, system where, um, if, like, you know, per, uh, music and percussion and drums and stuff like that. Uh, power and direct and control um, uh, the backjack. So that's what that's what that is. Um, the uh, the ziggurat is essentially just the thing that King is on, and uh, I think that's just what that thing is called. I think I think that's just the technical term for that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in the show opening, when we're in Moon Thirteen, and it's 
it's like the stair step yellow thing that's being pushed around by it the boneheads. Really yeah. I remember having to walk up and down that thing. Uh, it's very wobbly, and I, I did not uh, envy uh, poor little pregnant Felicia uh, for having to be on that thing a whole bunch. <laughs> while I was yeah, we, we talked to Zach Thompson, one of the, the short bonehead, a few weeks ago, and he said he was terrified about just spilling her you know, on the floor and, and severely injuring her while pushing her around on the ziggurat. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, um, that was like, I was there that day. I was like, Ugh. and I didn't even know she was pregnant at the time. So, uh, that was, that was in hindsight, even more, more scary. Um, uh, and so the boneheads, the boneheads are based off of an old movie that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, where also Kinga is, uh, also, uh, you know, based off of, it's just this old, you know, fantasy movie where this, uh, evil queen has these, you know, skeleton guys that help her out. So that's like her, the boneheads are her helpers, her minions, uh, as it were. And, um, and then there's also another term, like the thing that they use to trap me, the thing that hooks onto the backjack and starts the countdown. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the iron butterfly. And that's that's a uh, like a magnetic um, uh, pulsating uh, thing, kind of shut down uh, my, you know, my communication systems, and then for them to kind of keep a track on me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, so, and then uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a uh, that's all the weird little things. Uh, oh, and um, the reason I have to redo the opening every time is, uh, you know, Kinga's trying to blow up the brand, so she's broadcasting this, trying to get it. But because she's also developing uh, liquid TV technology, which is um, as opposed to, uh, you know, ones and zeros uh, electronically flying around, uh, she's uh, somehow developed a sort of, um, you know, fluidity in the uh, into, uh, information traveling in fluid. And so it spills and it gushes and there's pipe breaks and it's not the most uh, effective for recording. Mm. Uh, and so that's why we have to redo it every single time. And um, is there this is this is a big flying rumor uh, in the Mistyverse? Is there a buried puzzle in the opener? I cannot comment on that. Ah, <laughs> okay. So that wink, wink. Okay. Uh, we'll be wink, next wink. asking about your Russian connections. <laughs> Maybe a wink, maybe a blink. Who knows? Maybe <laughs> Who knows? We, we have an active discussion group in the Revival League, uh, and, and people are posting very elaborate theories. So it's, it's going to be fun when someone finally cracks that puzzle that may or may not be there. It turns out to just be a recipe for Ludafisk. Yeah. <laughs> well, whoever does, I, I should put this out there, whoever does figure out what may or may not be a puzzle uh, does get to take over uh, the chocolate factory. So. <laughs> <laughs> and drink more Ovaltine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, host segment question. Uh, all right. Every country has a monster uh, is a runaway hit. It is uh, almost universally beloved. But um, I noticed when we were on the set that... Is it beloved? I mean, Mike wouldn't rap. Oh come on! That, that one, <laughs> what, what one one guy one one Not guy in, in a basement somewhere, you know, in, in, in Mom fourteen, you know. <laughs> but um, but when we did the set visit, the satellite of love is raised up pretty damn high in the air um, to accommodate it's in space, Greg. Well, 
Yes, Ryan. The set uh, at uh, Apache Studios was raised pretty high in the air to accommodate all of the puppeteers for uh, um, Crow and Tom. And you were standing on a really tiny little platform. And um, so on this raised set, um, who was passing you the monster props? And um, did you ever have any problem to fall off that little platform and hurt yourself? Yeah, uh, well, when we were doing the rap, um, it was uh, Sarah, and I'm trying to remember um, her assistant's name, but it was two of our kind of uh, prop handlers uh, who helped build the stuff and mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it was just basically there was uh, uh, people on either side of me um, handing me the correct ones. We tried it a, a few different ways where we had them like on a t- kind of a table, but then the tables were kind of getting in the way of um, the puppeteers. And, uh, and so, yeah, they were just kind of handing, they were standing behind me to not get in the way of, uh, you know, the puppeteers and kind of handing them. So if you see my arms go down, they kind of go back, like mm. my hands back and then I am able to bring it out. Um, and that was just kind of through trial and error of trying to see the best way to, I mean, when Joel originally pitched the idea, the, um, the map that is on the, uh, the countertop was supposed to be tilted and I was supposed to put all the, and they were supposed to lock in. Mm. There was, they were gonna. He re- originally was planning on them being lo- so they can clip in and click into the their rightful area in the map. And that was like, I was just like, so wait, I have to like figure out how to pop these in and do the wrap in the right spot and all this stuff. And then um, it's a uh, you know the way the they, the guys couldn't figure out a good way to make that to build it out that way where it would be you know not clunk, too clunky. I mean, yeah. we, you know, everything's already kind of clunky, but just not too, like, where it would just get in the way of making the thing. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine you reaching over and around and still managing yeah. to do a little rap, you know? But, you know, yeah. I mean, but if it had been too perfect, it, I mean, it wouldn't be MST3K. I mean, when you get to, like, Le Loop de Guru and, and a, a bunch of them, like, fall over mm-hmm. like dominoes, I mean, that just sort of adds to the charm of it all. Yeah, it's funny. It's um, you know when you're when you're doing it, you, like you can't plan for stuff like that to happen. And when it happened, and like I pushed through, and when we were done, I was like, oh god, I was almost all the way to the end, and then I I knocked him over. And then Elliot Kalen, he's, he's like, what are you talking about? That's the best part. <laughs> yeah, it really was because I mean, it, just having. Having the small little moments like that kept it human and, and kept it grounded. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, there are episodes in the original where, like, Tom's head would fall off in the middle of a sketch and Joel would just put it back on and keep going. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, it was it was hard to remember that. And, like, this might sound, like, a little pretentious, but, like, you know, as a performer, when you're performing, you want to do the best job you can do in that moment. You're not yeah. thinking the the overall, you know, um, scope of things. Uh, you know, you're thinking about like, it's like, well, I want to do the best I can. And then, you know, I did it. Um, there was one, there was one take, we did it all. I got them all, didn't knock any of them down. The rap was great. Um, and then when we did, uh, we got movie sign, we all ran off and then the camera, like for some reason, the camera, like, uh, when it was starting to push into the the doors, like shifted off to the side and Hmm. like, it just like something was loose and it shifted. And so, we had to do it all over again because like it's it's like everything was perfect but then the camera messed up so it was like unusable it was like it would have been too much to try and like fix it yeah. and so like, all right let's do it again and then that was the take that was ended up being used mm-hmm. was the the one right after that where i started knocking stuff over but then like i'll tell you too about the the, the little platform 
a little wobbly platform, probably, I don't know, you guys saw that thing, was it like two and a half feet, yeah. two and a half feet, three and a half, three feet by three feet, something like that? Yeah, we uh, stood on it, it looked dangerous. <laughs> yeah, and there was gaps on either side, there was like about a three foot gap to like just walk on to the Satellite Love set of like where I had to come in. So basically anytime there was movie sign or coming back from the theater, I was you know, kind of jumping, even in the silhouettes, I was uh, going over a big gap. Mm. Uh, but like having to still look straight ahead, like I'm not trying to, you know, save my shins. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's gotta be nerve wracking. It was. I mean, it, you know, I wonder sometimes though if like because of those weird little things that I had to like, you know, don't fall. Like that was a thing on my head that it made me kind of relax with everything else. Mm. Like it, you know, don't <laughs> don't trip. And like I'm thinking about, okay, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And then you know, we we end up doing the the scene. And I was probably a bit more relaxed in the actual performing part of it yeah. because I was afraid of hurting myself. <laughs> well, our first fan question submitted, we're going to give it to, to Kate Page, our co-host, who almost made it on the podcast today, and, is, and, and we're, we're kicking ourselves she couldn't make it. But right. uh, um, Kate asks, uh, quote, I'm loving all the music references and riffs. I laughed out loud for real when the um, – pop music reference in episode 1104 uh in avalanche uh, and istanbul the uh, not constantinople not constantinople riff in 1101 uh in reptilicus so do the music riffs come mostly from you or are hampton and baron equally big music nerds um a lot of us uh um hampton um is for sure baron and i lo- like you know and in joel and elliot uh, but Elliot mainly, if there's like a Metallica reference, that's usually me or Elliot. Um, yeah. Uh, but a lot of that stuff is just, uh, you know, it's hard to say because it's 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 hard to say because we kind of we take all the names out when we're putting the riffs together. We don't like um, we you know we we you can kind of forget who did which riff yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And um, and so we uh, like uh, I'm trying to think the pop music. I think that might have. I don't want to, you know, it's like, it's so hard because you don't want to give the credit to someone else if I'm just kind of trying to guess. But I mean, I know I threw in a ton, a ton of music stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot that didn't get used and some, and some that did like, uh, that like I, you know, you know, had to like explain and kind of, uh, fight for, but yeah, we're a, a lot of us all really like music. So, uh, a lot of that stuff kind of, uh, jumped in and even while we were recording the riffs, um, you know, we'd, we'd come up with another one or we like from just kind of goofing off, like we'd uh, come up with more and then we'd throw in even more if we could. But, uh, I, usually if it's like a Prince reference, uh, that would be Joel. Joel really loved putting all those Prince, Prince references back in there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I know like, I know he put in a replacements reference. I put in a Dillinger four reference. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to say who exactly, but it's uh, yeah. We all are big fans of music, and we're, we're all. Sometimes it's just perfect, you know. Yeah. Moving on to eleven oh two, Cry Wilderness, which is just one of the weirdest fucking movies I've Oy. ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, this this season featured like two Bigfoots, if you count that weird thing in Hercules, and a Yeti scattered across multiple movies. So, I guess my yeah. question is, who's got the Yeti fetish over Alterniversal? <laughs> it's got to be Joel if he hired me. I mean, I'm like the size of a buddy, so. <laughs> um, 
Oh, I guess every episode has a Yeti if you watch all the way to the end because of the Abominable Pictures logo. Oh, good point. Good, very good point. But, uh, so I guess, I guess it's Abominable. That was probably contractually something we had to do. <laughs> you got to... We'll, we'll, we'll produce the stuff, but you got to put a Yeti in there. A quarter of these episodes must feature a Yeti. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, in the uh, the host segment, you uh, you have uh, Tom and Crow dressed as raccoons. Uh, one of the things I noticed is you actually started putting the uh, costumes on them in the theater before walking out. But, uh, you know, did, did Beast McKeever ever look at you guys like you were insane? When, okay, we need a new rac- a raccoon costume for a robot or is... Is she on the job long enough that she just nothing phases her at this point? Bees was never phased. Bees was always had a huge smile on her face, just so excited. It was always like the weirder, the more like into it she would get. Um, and like, you know, she always she always nailed it. I mean, like the raccoons, they're so cute. It's oh, like yeah. it's like uh they're they're just so adorable. And then um not to jump ahead, but the, uh, you know, the steampunk, uh, Crow and Servos were so like, yeah, they're so cool. Like she just like, she, she really nails it and she, she gets such joy out of the challenge. It seems, you know, even if something kind of like wouldn't stay on or something kind of wouldn't really be working, she'd really get excited about problem solving the, the, you know, the, the, the situation, which was, uh, like she getting to meet her and work with her. And get to know her was such a huge, like a huge honor. I I, I really love love bees. And uh, and our uh, our fan question uh, is sort of a follow up on the the last one uh, from Dane uh, says uh, there was a lot of singing in the theater this season. Uh, when a writer would toss in a Pearl Jam or a Prince song riff, <laughs> uh, how was it decided if you Baron or Hampton would be the one to sing it? Did you have a mini sing off each time? Um, you know, there was times if it was like, a, if it was Prince, I would always toss it over. If I had a Prince sign, I would toss it over to Baron. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, every, I think everyone can do a netty better. Uh, so, <laughs> um, but sometimes there was songs that like, you know, and Joel didn't really like Joel doesn't. He never was really a big fan of like swapping lines. Like he's like, "Hey man, we assigned these to you. Like, um, just do your best, and like it'll be funny. So don't wor- you know, you know, don't doesn't have to be perfect. Um, but like sometimes it's just I'm like I just know, you know, I I know Baron or I know Hampton can nail this, mm. you know, line. So I there was we would do it sometimes, um, but. Uh, uh, it didn't. It didn't happen, and that would happen with impressions too. If like you know, um, I, I can't remember uh, where. Oh yeah, like Hampton has the best Morgan Freeman. Mm. So um, usually, if Morgan Freeman came up, we would just give it to Hampton. And yeah. uh, Bowie, Bowie had to be Baron. Bowie was Baron. Like Baron is has a great Bowie. It's, Bowie's Baron's Bowie is one of the reasons that Joel wanted him. <laughs> like. <when I'm, laughs> When I brought up like Baron, I, I said, I said, this guy's so funny. He can sing. He can do impressions and voices. He's like, he's a great comedian. He's a great writer. He's a theatrically trained actor. Here's here's a couple sets. I sent him a couple of YouTube links, and his response was like, this guy's Bowie is so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that those would go, you know, over to. But there was, you know, in uh, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom, there's the Krabby the Hat. Uh, you know, like, oh, gee, boss, like, there's one, and uh, we were starting to go through it, and we all had a Krabby, Krabby the Crab Hat line, 
and Joel liked my version the best, so we went back and I redid all the other Krabby the Crab line, Crab Hat lines. Yeah, which mm-hmm. I was like in my head too. I was like, I I kind of see the crab in the guy's hat, but it's not too obvious. <laughs> Your mother must be so proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my son. Does the voice for Krabby the Crab Hat. <laughs> Orders, we've been closed for a very long time. So, um, 11.03, Time Travelers. Great now, one. Yes, uh, th- this, this one uh, had a lot of looped stuff cut out of it at, at the end. Uh, but one thing we noticed is that the movie uses a lot of like stage magic illusions as part of its special effects. And, and we're curious... Is this part of what made this movie appeal to uh, Joel as a magician? Yeah, but uh, really, like that when he told us about um, when he told us about this movie, he on like the, the you know the big the big meeting. Like every time we were about to start a uh, riff in a movie, we'd have a meeting, and Joel would talk about what he liked about it and different aspects of it, and uh, and that was definitely um, that was definitely something he really enjoyed about it was all these practical effects being used as special effects, you know, age magic stuff. And it is really neat. It's a really, it's a good idea. Had it been not featured and put in front as much as they did in that movie with just uh, like, they would just like, they would just sit on it forever. Yeah. You know, little magic tricks or whole scenes around what would just be kind of a minor magic. But who knows? We don't know because we don't have the context of what it was like to see it when the movie came out. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, I mean, you're right. That, that was one, like, the first thing where they removed the robot's head. That was like, okay, that's pretty cool. One cut. But, it, you know, then they're just really focusing on the guy making the circles into squares or whatever. And it's like, well, you're, you, you become aware that it's a stage illusion. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the thing I was thinking about when I was talking about that, too. It was just those, the circle and the squares. Like, <laughs> cool. it's impressive once let's watch it five times (laughs) so in in the host segment in time travelers this was the first time we saw uh joel hodgson and elliot kalen appear as characters other than joel doing Artie uh in the basement um I love the I love those characters. I want those characters to come back so much. (laughs) yeah they're a little dissolute and loose aren't they just just (laughs) just like I can't, like it just I like the fact that Joel almost seems to be playing like his character as a guy that like he like he just did a bit too many lewds before they started. <laughs> you know, like he can't, he's gonna be there, he's gonna be fine, but he don't expect him to do anything. And <laughs> I, like Elliot, just like just so creepy, so good and creepy with his character. I loved it so much. Oh, Elliot had some really good, creepy bit cameos throughout the whole uh, series. Um, uh, now, now, Joel, is he going to be like the new Mike in the Joel era as far as cameo bit characters and segments are concerned? Um, I don't know. It's it's tough to say, mainly just because Joel really got really comfortable behind the camera. Mm. And um, I remember, like, you know, it's just every time he had to put on an outfit, he would kind of be like, ah, oh. well, you know, he just like, he was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I'll put on an outfit. I don't want to get into makeup. Um, I think if something comes along where he, he just would have a lot of fun with it. Um, but I think like after doing the ones from this season, like where he was just like, he, he kind of was just like, it's like, I got, I got too many of I got a whole show to run here. <laughs> what am I doing? Just trying to get fitted for this, you know, sexy spaceman. <laughs> now our, our fan question comes from Leanne and she asks, uh, were the episodes shot in order? 
I asked because the chemistry amongst the riffers seems so great uh, right out the gate uh, from episode 1101. Yeah, uh, Reptilicus was the first uh, the first one we wrote, recorded, and shot. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're they are in order from there. Um, and it was uh, extremely brutal doing Wizards one and two in a row. <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. telling Joel, like, you got to space these out. You have to space these out. <laughs> now, I mean, that's that's the riffing, right? Because you you shot the uh, the host segments in whatever order was most amenable to the schedule, right? Yeah, yeah. The host segments themselves were all very much uh, like kind of you know shot like uh, as much in order as they can, but it was pretty scatter shot. Something new mm-hmm. every every time we started and just that was just another you know um aspect of shooting as much as we did in the amount of time that we did yeah um but uh but yeah for the for the risks themselves very much in order of what we did and i mean everything was written in that order as well uh i remember even uh, when uh we i think we were doing like beasts of hollow mountain yongari and i, I was telling joel like, hey i think we should put this one first and he's like he's like you can't do that you can't just like pop another one first and then you know, we're going to watch and it's going to be really good and then it's not going to be as good the next episode. <laughs> you want to slide people into it. And I remember yeah. going, I don't know about that. In this, in this age of instant reviews and stuff like that, I was like, uh, but he was right. He was right. People really kind of love the fact that they, they can feel it get uh, better. Mm. Now, uh, for, uh, for the next one, Avalanche, uh, uh, one thing I noticed that I thought was uh, was uh, good is uh, you, you, there seemed to be a conscious decision in Avalanche to not aggressively riff on Rock Hudson's sexual orientation, the fact that he was a, a gay man who played aggressively heterosexual roles through his entire yeah. career. Um, but you you know you, you touched on it because it's sort of the elephant in the room, but you didn't you didn't go after him for it, which I thought was good. Is that part of the philosophy of not being mean or not going for the easy joke or a little of both? Well, it's more about um, it's more about not going for the easy joke. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't know that, like a lot of young people don't really know that about Rock Hudson, um, and so it might seem more aggressive uh, or you know homophobic um, had we just made like those kinds of jokes without being smarter about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so yeah, there is like we. We, we poke fun mainly at the lack of sexual chemistry between him and Mia Farrow. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is, uh, you know, there's a couple of times where it's just like, could you even try rock? There's stuff like that in there, I think, where it's, uh, it's you know, and it's, it's more um, about like that, like at that point in his life, too, he wasn't like he was, you know, he was kind of a drunk and he was kind of just becoming this B actor guy who was once like a very, you know, strong like uh, uh, actor, very mm-hmm. popular actor, and that was kind of later day stuff. So I think it was, it was uh, an odd time, and you don't want to, you know. There was times doing research on some of these movies where you would find a backstory of one of the actors or writers or producers of them, and it, they're real dark, and you kind of go, "Well, should we play around with this, or is it just kind of like they already had a hard time, or some of them are dead, or you know, yeah, some, yeah, you know, it's." Um, it's it's tricky because I love, you know, I love a dark sense of humor. I love dark comedy, but I just don't know if it works. I don't know if it works in the context of MST as well um, as even I'd like, you know, it's, and that's not to say that like, I wish it could be. I think it's more just like, um, it's, you know, 
like watching like a slapstick comedy and then there's like someone throws in an AIDS joke and you're like, hey, whoa, whoa, hold on. I'm watching slapstick. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oddly enough, I mean, I think maybe riff tracks could get away if they were doing something with like Bob Crane, for instance, oh, with yeah. being really, really dark about Bob Crane. But uh, but, you know, it's it's just not really the MST milieu to go after the individual performers as much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you know, there are there was a thing, you know, the Stranger Things thing we did. Yeah. Um, when, um, that dude, um, I'm blanking on his name, the actor's name, really awesome actor. Uh, David Harbour, is that it? Yeah, David Harbour, who does a great job, and he's a really awesome, progressive dude, you know, like, the when his speech at the Golden Globes was beautiful, and he retweets, he retwe- retweets the, uh, the video saying, I'm proud to be body shamed by the <laughs> uh, crew, and then I, like, immediately was like, oh my god, he's right. He like talked about his gut. I say he's a pile of mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> talking about how I can't wait for him to put his clothes back. I was just I was devastated. I, I felt so bad and I I you know it's like it was one of those things where rare rare was it in the original run where you can kind of poke fun at an actor and they get back to you. I mean the, there's the famous Joe Don Baker story, but like it's real rare. It's real yeah. rare. And the guy, you know, he he took it like really nicely, and he retweeted it and stuff like that. But I think about it, just like, oh, that that was like, there were kind of a lot of body jokes in that thing. And it was kind of a bummer. <laughs> now, um, as far as the uh, the host segments, uh, um, what's Joel's thinking on the Liquid King of Chrome movie delivery system and uh, uh, the toxic fuel rod being loaded into the containment system at the end of every episode? Is that uh, uh, anything in specific, or is that just a a nice visual button on the show. Um, it, Joel's talked about different aspects um, with the you know the containment um, situation, the liquid uh, TV stuff, the payload which Gypsy brings down and into mm-hmm. the theater. Um, there's a lot of stuff that he kind of and like I said before, Joel kind of has this grand plan that he starts to say aspects of it out loud just so he can hear it and he's still working on it but he does have an there is there is a grand plan for um all those little things that seem like throwaways they are all part of a bigger idea that joel is uh developing all right so we should pay attention to that in the future yeah, I think so, but like that also might like you know you might start paying attention to stuff that you know is just there for a, like a cool visual thing. Well, uh, that's that's what fandoms do. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, and uh, our uh, our fan uh, question is: uh, uh, You recorded the uh, the riffs in a sound booth and then pantomimed the theater sequence. This is from Tiffany, by the way, and uh, she wanted to know: uh, Did you record your riffs? On your own in the booth or together with Baron and Hampton? And when you pantomimed, uh, was it one continuous take or were you able to stitch that together if you needed multiple takes? Um, so the uh, we did we recorded our riffs all together um, live. Um, it was usually we'd go through each segment three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it was uh, we'd do uh, one, just kind of like just get into it and then we'd do it. Um, and then we'd uh, we'd all kind of like as we're doing that section, we'd all make personal notes, like stuff we want to hit a bit harder, and and uh, and then um, we do it. We do the third time would be pickups, like stuff mm-hmm. that that we just didn't get the second time, and then those were kind of just pickups. But for the most part, everything was very live with the three of us in the same room. 
uh, doing the riffs. Uh, as far as the uh, silhouettes, we did all those. Uh, we did all those live. We was um, we were in front of a green screen with the playback, and so we were able to. Um, I was able to match the uh, the gestures. Um, along with my VO and we would do those live to tape pretty much. We'd play the audio and we'd go through each and every movie, each and every segment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, doing that stuff. Um, which was, uh, which was, which was neat. And, you know, uh, there are, there are a lot of people that, you know, they can tell that there was, uh, there's, it's like, it's not as now in the theater as what they were used to, but, um, it, it's almost the same reason that we have puppeteers on, uh, the puppets. It's, um, you know, we, we had to come into this season like ready to go. Yeah. Like the learning curve, like, um, the only learning curve could really be like, like, you know, my performance and the riffs like that we, but like every, every production element had to be, uh, in a, in a situation that we, no one was like, I'm sorry, I, I messed up that take because I'm like still getting used to being a puppeteer, even though I've been a stand up for, you know, 10 years. It's, yeah. uh, it's so it's um, I, I know people like can sense that. And and it's uh, as as much as like, you know, we we agree. It's like there there as we continue forward, there will be more looseness and there will be everyone's going to get comfortable. But we were, you know, we were dropped in to like shooting these things in such a uh, short amount of time that there, we had to just kind of do it that way because, um, I mean, we didn't make a lot of money on the Kickstarter, but you know, it's, uh, it's also a lot of people kind of don't realize it's like, it has been 17 years of inflation yeah. um, <laughs> of how much things cost and like rebuilding all of those sets and all of these costumes and all of these props. And like, it's like, you know, it's, uh, so like the more we wanted to work on the actual look of everything, the time we had to shoot with them started to get shorter. And that's the, that's the weird, um, gamble or, uh, the, kind of the, um, the little, the, uh, compromise you make with uh, production when you're in TV, it's, uh, uh, anytime you're shooting anything, it's just, uh, it's just like, well, do you want to spend more money on this location or do you want to have more time making the scene better? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, we can get this really nice, really nice place. We're going to fill it with a bunch of people, but you're going to have, you know, three hours worth of time to shoot it there. Or we can set it in a small cafe and you're going to have all day and you can make that scene as good as you want. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's that idea of that, and that that's, that's kind of the roundabout way to kind of answer a bunch of that stuff of yeah. uh, uh, production. Yeah. yeah. Which is never really that interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, it is for the hardcore fans. So we, we appreciate this. Uh, let's move on to um, Experiment 1105, The Beast of Hollow Mountain. Uh, good old dinosaur episode. Yeah, uh, there, yeah, the movie question is there is so much going on in this movie. I mean, it's mostly a standard Western that veers off into a T-Rex with a Keith Richards tongue uh, chasing uh, you know, the, the hero around. But what I want to talk about is Poncho. <laughs> Poncho. Yes, see. Now, he was the punching bag of this movie. And from Torgo to Mitchell, this is like kind of a long-standing tradition in MST3K. So who's the best punching bag character of season 11? Is it Peterson or Danny? Is it anything starring Doug McClure? Who, who, <laughs> who, 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 would, who would you rate as the, the number one punching bag? 
Man, I mean, Danny is pretty great. Danny uh, from Time Travelers is just—it's so fun to, to make him. I mean, he's like—he's he's an electrician, so it's just—it's. But he's so needy in the movie. He wants to be respected, and it's—that's a funnier character. I mean, Poncho is such a sad character, where it's like his wife died, so he was driven to drink, and he's raising a kid on his own, and then he then he dies <laughs> horribly. Horribly, yeah, and, and he, he just wanted to do right, and it's uh, so I feel I feel it's like I, Peterson. I don't know if if maybe if uh, Peter was was in the movie was in our version of Reptilicus a bit more, I would say him. But yeah, Danny for me would probably be um, probably be the biggest punching bag I think this season, just because he's so dopey and dorky, and you just hate him right when he right when he shuffles in. Yeah, he really is the it's the whole the whole movie's his fault, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the kid where you you do have a conscience but you still kind of want to stuff him in the locker <laughs> in high school. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's when like uh when nerds realize they punch down too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's ask our host question uh, here uh it's uh what was the rationale of uh, that segment where you turn Tom and Crow, uh, you turn them into festival characters who are absolutely demonic that terrorize uh, Jonah Heston and the Mads? I mean, it's hysterical, but uh, frankly, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of those. Um, that was one of those ones where I was just like, "Wait, what's the, what's the bit?" And it's like Joel's just like, "You're just going crazy, man. These guys are freaking you out, man." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like Elliot. Elliot always loves these types of uh, bits. Like, uh, it's uh, I, I don't think he wrote this either of these, but like this one and the um, and the raccoon one from Cry Wilderness, where mm. it's just it's just pure weird, goofy silliness, and there's no real big thing to it. And that was at the. I remember we shot that at the end of a day, and my voice was already really tired, and I was like having to scream, and we had to just keep on doing it and just keep on screaming, and uh, I just, I, it's a, you know, it's, we were, we, we, all of us across the board were so weirded out by the, uh, the, you know, the headdress, the demonic headdress people that were in that festival in that episode, so we just, that was what we came up with. <laughs> <laughs> So our fan question comes from Melody, and she wants to know, did you learn anything filming the show that would have shocked you as a fan? Um, the thing that, like, totally, the thing that totally surprised me was the, uh, when they gave me my jumpsuit for the silhouette, and it was a dark gray uh, jumpsuit, and then I saw the bots, and they were painted matte black, mm -hmm. and I had fully forgotten and that's what they have to do when doing the green screen uh theater segments because they can't nothing can reflect anything yeah and so uh that was like I, when i saw it I was like, oh that's crazy of but it's like one of those moments where you're like of course though of course that's what happens yeah uh, you guys were there too was there anything that seemed you know in the course of uh being there that you were just you kind of go oh, oh that's interesting well, I was surprised by the black jumpsuit. It never occurred to me that the black jumpsuit would be a thing. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I knew the bots were black but uh, in the theater segments, but it never occurred to me that they'd change the host's jumpsuit. Which And it might have been, it might have been just because my jumpsuit is yellow and would, would reflect more light. Yeah. Uh, the green and kind of mess up the, uh, the keying aspect of the silhouette. But, 
yeah, that was that. I was very just kind of. I was like, oh, oh, well, hey, I guess uh, you know, be prepared to have your childhood turned inside out in mm. front of you. And also, I was surprised that Pat Oswalt was uh, shorter than I thought he'd be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess for me, uh, Jonah, it was uh, seeing what heavy, sweaty work it is being a puppeteer. You know, with. Uh, Grant Pachoco and, and Russ Walco. I mean, well, you've so, carried my bots around. You didn't yeah, realize they were heavy. No, I mean they're they're they're, they're freaking like cannonballs, and and to yeah. put expression into those things is impressive. Yeah, that was, um, you know, having them having the all the puppeteers below me, it was odd. It was odd because I was so much I was so much ta- taller than them being on the platform, and they were all kind of slunk down, and I would you know like in between takes they would all just start having a conversation with each other. And I, I, it's like the only way I could really get in on the conversation would be to like squat down and then I would hurt my knees. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, yeah, there was just the, also the amount, I never realized like the amount of stuff, like props that are just built for that show. Like you watch those shows and I guess it's different when you were watching them on TV where it's like every week you see props and, you know, costumes and stuff like that. But seeing how much, when you see them all there sitting in the same room, you're like, wow, there's so much that goes mm-hmm. into this show. So many little props and outfits that have to be worn. Yeah, uh, I guess you don't think every time something shows up on, you, you don't consciously think, oh, somebody had to build that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And from someone that's been working on shows for a long time, I, I just seeing it all happen all at once was just saying, it was, like, it was, it was huge. I mean, you saw that warehouse. It was just there was no, it was, it was a gigantic warehouse that where there was no space for anything. Yeah, <laughs> so much stuff. Yeah, yeah, you really had to. You really had to uh, sort of snake your way through. It was like exploring like the the, the sections of Mammoth Cave where it closes in on you or something. Just yeah, to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you had to like cross a bridge and fight a dragon to get to craft services. It was crazy. Yeah. Ugh. Now, uh, moving on. Uh, speaking of uh, uh, crazy, uh, the next episode is eleven oh six Star Crash, and my first question is: Is uh, Marjo Gortner seriously? Marjo Gardner, child evangelist. Yeah, what a weird. I mean, there's I a great documentary on that guy. Um, yeah, uh, like I can't remember what it's called. It might just be called Marjo. I think it is just Marjo. I think it might have been Oscar nominated, but it's just such a weird role for that guy. Yeah, I think that's when he was trying to, you know, break out and become his own kind of thing outside of just being, you know, yeah. a minister. Um, and he's got such a weird performing style. That like just the way he talks is so weird. Like yes, like he's got <laughs> his whole life. But uh, you know, and, but that you know, it also brings up the fact that you know, uh, uh, Christopher Plummer is in this movie. Uh, I'm assuming paying off an in-ground pool or something. Uh, but do you ever like do you, you ever feel sympathy when you see these great actors in shitty movies and wonder, you know, do they have a tax bill due or or you know why are they in this? Do you, you sort of feel bad for them? What I love about Christopher Plummer, um, he he in an interview, someone asked him about it, and he said, uh, "My whole philosophy was I would even do porn in Italy if it means they would fly me down." <laughs> <laughs> he just loved Rome so much that he just would take any opportunity to take a job down there, and it's I, you know it's it's tricky because you want to uh, any artist wants to believe that they'll. They'll do the stuff that means the most to them. And then you also realize, well, this is a job and I need to make money and I have a family and I need bill- I need to pay my bills and this and that. And then you kind of just start taking jobs. Like, 
you know, um, it's like, uh, I, you know, I did commercials for Bing.com. Bing, mm-hmm. you know, not Google. Bing. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, and it's like, is it something I'm going to put in my catalog of things? Like when I'm an old, you know, old retired comic burnt out, be like, it's like, here's when I was on my favorite show of all time, Mr. Science Theater. Here's a little <laughs> sketch show I made in a, the stand-up show, and here's all my Bing commercials. <laughs> it's, there's some things you do, and this is kind of how I've, I, in this, especially a social media age, there's some things you do, and then there's some things you do and tell your friends about. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, uh, it's a good point. <laughs> but, uh, uh, now, uh, during the, uh, the, the sequence where the heroine boards the spaceship, uh, you and the bot sing an entirely musical, an entire musical number, like a Beach Boys style UFO song, which I think is the first time you've ever done something like that yeah, in yeah. the theater. Yeah, uh, Joel's really excited about trying to do something like that. Yeah, now, Plus, I mean, yeah, it's a boring scene, too. There's not a lot to do like when she's getting into the ship because it takes forever. Yeah, and that's that's basically what I was uh, wondering is that you know uh, it's sort of an experiment with the form or basically because you just had a ton of time to kill and not much dialogue to riff off of. Yeah, I mean it was a, it was a bit of uh, it was a bit of both. It was uh, something new to kind of try and we do it also with um uh, uh Journey Center of the Earth where we have like the whole smelting song. Yeah. Uh, um you know, we smelled that that was uh, written by Bobby Lopez. Uh, uh, of, you know, frozen fame. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So the, um, the, the song was just kind of like, it's like, Joel's like, Oh, we should just do a song. And then like, it kind of, we started riffing on what like it would be about like, Oh, don't get, it was just originally it was just like, don't go, don't get on that ship. Don't get on that ship, you know? But then mm-hmm. we just kind of riffing on it with Paul Storm, Paul Storm kind of, uh, you know, made it into this like bigger thing. And that's something they're good at is, um, they're they're able to like say in story in the song like they're able to say in song like part of the story but then also kind of make it its own thing same with the kaiju rap yeah. where it's um, it like makes sense in the the scheme of the episode and and about different you know monster movie monsters but it's also it's a standalone song about you know monsters from around the world like it's a, they're really really good at that stuff now, uh, the uh, uh, Melody uh, wants to know, uh, she said that uh, you're credited as a co-producer, and she wants to know what does that mean and what do you do behind the scenes of the show to get that uh, that credit? Uh, well, I, uh, I cast um, Baron in Hampton, um, and I uh, uh, was a big part of uh, putting the, the, the riffs together. with uh, uh, Elliot and I were um, riff producers, uh, essentially. We had our own, um, we had our own group. Uh, writers group and then we would also go and put the entire episode of riffs together um so i was uh you know partly in charge of that doing that stuff with elliot and then um just kind of uh being a it's you know just being able to um have a say in the uh in the grand scheme of things like it's like kind of have a voice as a producer so it's like it's you know and and titles and stuff like that in in hollywood and in production are they're kind of silly sometimes, but it just it just means I did a little bit more work than just being an actor and a writer. Yeah, and uh, Melody, he also holds the key of time, and if you can answer a riddle, he has to grant you a wish. <laughs> so, experiment 1107. <laughs> Greg's just skating right past that. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I don't listen to Ryan anymore. So, yeah. 
Experiment 1107, The Land That Time Forgot. Uh, yeah. our, our movie question is, this was the first Doug McClure vehicle of Series 11, uh, or Season 11. Um, you joined the ranks of the Simpsons and ragging on this sure. guy. Uh, how did Doug McClure hurt you, Jonah? I mean, wh- <laughs> here's, the, here's the big tragedy of Doug McClure is that he's a really good actor. Yeah. Yeah. He's a really good actor um, that doesn't seem to, you know, it's, and it, it's, I don't think he believed in himself enough. It's just one of those things that the movies he chose and sometimes it just, you can tell him, you can tell that he doesn't care sometimes, but when he does care, it's a, an incredible performance. And that's, I think that it's like you want him because he's a good actor, you want him to be so much better. You want him to try a bit more and drink a little less. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our host question is, can you explain the layout of how Moon 14 functions versus Moon 13? And uh, what are they keeping uh, in Moon 14 besides dinosaurs and toxic waste? Uh, I can't really, uh, you know, I, I can't uh, attest to that too much because I never really get down there. Um, and uh, it's, a, you know, there's there's just some whole, whole other experiment going down there that, uh, I, you know, the king won't let me privy to. So that's <laughs> another one of those uh, crazy Joel, like, uh, yeah, I got it all up here, man. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> man, he better not get hit by a bus. I hope he has this written down in a lot. You know, safety deposit box somewhere. So uh, I would just hope he doesn't get hit by a bus. Yeah, uh, you know, that was yeah, funny. that was a very selfish question. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about? I remember after the New York premiere uh, and after the party, Joel um, Joel said he was uh, he was like feeling really good, and it was like kind of a nice magical night, and it was really really cool. And he said he was walking back to his hotel, and um, and like almost walked across the street and like not like almost got hit by a car but realized he wasn't paying attention and when a bus went by and then he was like he was just thinking like oh man that would have been so ideal (laughs) (laughs) solved a lot of problems that way yeah just like the idea that he was just like he was like oh it'd be just like going out on top for me man that would have been great (laughs) Yeah, he said some wise things to me uh, at the New York premiere. Uh, it was mostly, hey, man, you got any hand sanitizer? So, <laughs> Why are you still here, Greg? Yeah, words to live by. But um, our fan question for 1107, uh, I swear to God I didn't plant this one, uh, comes from Morgan. And why did you incorporate the Dino Hotel into the show? Why? Because it's perfect. It's I mean, you guys are a big part of bringing it back and – it's uh it's you know it made sense for the the movie i mean it wasn't like we shoehorned it in it wasn't like it's like well we gotta we have to kind of put in a dino hotel thing because you know uh because of greg it's you know it's it was more of just like um we were starting to riff on the idea of the uh the dinosaurs in the movie and then like we're like oh what if we made like it was like it was just one of those i just like a reference like anything else yeah um and it uh and it was just perfect and it was to know that it was going to, you know, be really cool on top of that to have like, you know, one of one of our, you know, producers um, like, you know, businesses just like kind of talked about in a, in a, in a cool sketch. Uh, 
it was just it was it's it's fun. It's like when I like when I make um, Hidden America, like I love throwing in friends' names into into bits and characters' names and stuff like that. It's just it doesn't it might not mean much for people who don't know, but the people who do know, it's fun and it's it's an, it's uh, a nice little um, you know like friendship circle kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. not to seem too exclusive or uh, you know, but it I or exclusionary. But it, it like it was like it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, this works perfectly. And it's a fun way to call out, you know, the, the shout out our friends. Um, now, uh, and it's also great. Uh, I've got to point out because, uh, you know, Misty's know that sh- you guys from way back from the beginning of the show love making weird esoteric local references. And that's one of those things where I just think people are going to think. I bet that's a real place, <laughs> and yeah. Google it. You I'm know. banking on it. Yeah, Greg's hoping, <laughs> hoping that's ha- what happens. But, uh, uh, but uh, uh, moving on to well, wait, wait. I I, I want to chime in and just say one thing. Um, when of when I you do. yeah, I did, when I approached Ivan Ask with the the Kickstarter runner and and, and Joel um, about doing a sketch that in, involved the Dino Hotel, I put down forty thousand dollars. It was our entire. 2016 advertising budget uh, for the hotel, like just in, in one fell swoop, to do this. And I and I said, can you write us into a sketch? And Joel was really enthusiastic about it, and then um, disappeared for a year to produce the show. And it there was no contract. There was it was spit in a handshake, and you know I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but. Man, you guys delivered beyond my wildest dreams, and I, I mean, men of, of character uh, who, who delivered on what they said they were, and not only that, but pulled out all the stops. I mean, you had uh, Elliot Kalen uh, writing on it with with Ivan and, and and Joel and Paul and Storm writing the music, and Patton and Felicia performing it with you, Jonah. And I, I mean, it was it was more than than I could have hoped for. And and uh, thank you guys for that. Oh no, of course. Uh, it, what is funny is that like, I, I remember now that, that, that deal. Uh, but like, it's, what's funny is that multiple writers had pitches include like, w- because they knew about the Dino hotel, which is very interesting. Oh, wow. Oh, what were some of the cast offs? Um, it was, I think it was kind of similar stuff like, um, stay at the Dino hotel at, uh, in the land that time forgot where, you know, and it was just like, the pitches were uh, be careful of, uh, you know, um, of like you know the the be careful of the natives, be careful of like the gators coming in. There was just like that was some <laughs> that was that was one I saw, and then there was another one which was um, like uh, like a dino hotel. It's like oh, it's a hotel, it's a dinosaur themed hotel. No, 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 it's a hotel for dinosaurs. <laughs> we get that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, 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 definitely. That was really cool. Now, um, moving on to the uh, 1108, The Loves of Hercules. Good God, this movie. <laughs> um, uh, I hate it so one, much. <laughs> one of the things that I, I love about it, though, you know, Servo flies around the theater a lot in season 11, and I think this movie has the best bit with that involving that, where Hercules just flicks the screen and Tom Servo flies across the theater and crashes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, since the bots are more mobile now, do you have any favorite bits that... Uh, Tom and Crow did the umbrellas in Yangri, uh, Crow's with the elevator and Star Crash. Um, I think uh, one of my favorites is uh, 
the uh, when they're doing the drones for um, uh, an avalanche to cover up the nudity. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, that was one of my favorite things. Uh, like silhouette gags, and and then I also really dug. Uh, um, what was the other one? I oh. Uh, Servo trying to push up the rocket in uh, in time travelers. Yeah, yeah. Um, now uh, we're not even going to get into uh, Hercules's performance because, good God, he may be the worst Hercules I've ever seen. <laughs> I, my dollar, you can't find a better man. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I got to ask with the host segment, the last host segment. Uh, I I laughed to the point that I was literally hurting, but what in the <laughs> world was that discordant opera singing at the beginning? Was that like a 2001 monolith thing or, or at the end? Because we were also, everyone, everyone had pitches on like how to make fun of that crazy, terrible music at the end of that movie. We're just like, what if we just did it? <laughs> did it and just kept doing it and it kept going. And just one of those fun kind of, one of those fun kind of comedic tropes of just going on too long. Was yeah. something as simple as that. That was just a, that was that was a fun one. And it's also that's is that the first episode where you get to meet um, uh, M. Waverly? Yeah, it is. And uh, that's another thing I'd like to just ask. Throwing it out there is, you know, you built him up a, a good little bit during the uh, the Kickstarter and all of that, and then he shows up and is immediately murdered by Crow and Servo yeah. after like thirty five seconds. I mean. Uh, do we think he's coming back in season twelve, or did they did they uh, did they murder him uh, good and final? Well, my pitch my pitch has been since he's been destroyed. My pitch is that he, there's now just a kind of a tray of M. Waverly parts, but <laughs> his, his beak is still there and it's still like moved. Like he still talks and he still has consciousness as a bot, and so it's just like I go, "Hey, M. Waverly," and I just bring out this tray of parts. He's like, "Will, hello." <laughs> Excuse me, I'm a bit scattered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe, uh, maybe if if there's a season twelve, um, you know, it, it turns out the entire season eleven was uh, M. Waverly in the shower, and he uh, dreamt the whole thing. No, it's just his head in a pan, like uh, the the brain that wouldn't die. <laughs> yeah, it was all a dream. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, our fan question from Lynn is: uh, We have cameos from Jerry Seinfeld, Mark Hamill, people like that. Any friends of yours you're hoping to get on the show in the future? I do. I mean, like, I, I'm trying to figure out, like, a way to kind of uh, do a reference to the Nerdist podcast with, uh, like, tweaking tweaking Servo and Crow's voices. And then for, for just a moment, they sound like uh, Chris Hardwick and Matt Myra. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, that's something I would, like, you know, kind of love to do. I mean, I'd love to have, like, uh, like Kumail... Nanjiani come and do uh, something just because you know he's he's such a huge sci-fi fan and no oh, yeah uh, he'd be fantastic yeah yeah exactly I mean you know I just I always want to incorporate all my friends into everything I do so it's uh it's a uh, it's nepotism at its finest good thing good thing I have a lot of talented friends though yeah absolutely <laughs> it helps when your friends are Chris Hardwick and Matt Meyer and Camille Nanjiani <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I mean there is one though. He was a Kickstarter backer, and I really want to have him on. But it's uh, Tim Meadows would be incredible to have on. Oh next wow! Season. Oh yeah, I'm a huge Tim Meadows fan. So yeah, we saw him wearing on in that Twitter post that he did. We saw him wearing his backer T-shirt. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've tried to like like tweet at him, going like, "Thanks, man," and just like nothing. I go, "Oh, that's okay." <laughs> Tim Meadows. So experiment eleven oh nine, Yongeri. Uh, you talked 
about how terrible you felt for the monster and the dark turn the movie took. Um, there's a horrific scene as Yongri basically bleeds out and dies in front of the kid he befriended. Uh, was this a legitimate I, I, reacted in the writer's room? Yeah, just the fact that he was bleeding out of his butt was uh, <laughs> just like, I mean, not to be too dark, but it was like a... It was like that terrible scene in Leaving Las Vegas. It was just it's like, like, oh, my God. It's really just upsetting in so many different ways. And it's uh, we all just kind of like we're like, oh, how do you how do you how do you riff about this? Like this kid losing his friend and then just this monster bleeding out the way he is. And we just uh, yeah, that was like there was a lot of uh, people's riffs or just like a lot of people just put in the, in like in their submissions. Like, it's like, I don't fucking know, man. (laughs) (laughs) So you just embrace the sadness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes you got to do that. So host segment question. Um, Now we, we were on set. We saw you, you filmed this and this was a lot of fun. Uh, The model of the Yongari nightclub. Oh, Uh, Yongari nights. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So what's the backstory to Jonah being a maker? Um, we see Jonah Heston's Fab Lab in the door sequence. Um, what's, what's it all about, and who makes all the fast, the fantastic wooden figures uh, throughout the, the series? Uh, well, uh, he, like uh, what Joel always says about the Heston character is that he's a gizmo crack. He's just constantly making stuff. If you see throughout the season, I'm making like a, I'm making a space suit. I'm mm-hmm. kind of a, you know, I'm. The back jack has all these different things, like the percussive drive test. It's just I'm constantly making things and fixing things. I, I made M. Waverly. I'm, you know, I, I'm modifying stuff on the ship, um, and so um, that's kind of the um, idea of where that stuff comes from. But the um, as so far as like spacefaring Adam Savage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, just a maker. You know, I'm a maker, is what uh, what Joel always says. Um, and Joel just kind of got really obsessed with like, you know, laser cut wood stuff. And that all came from our, um, uh, our art department guy and he's, and he's out of North Hollywood and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he's really, really talented and really, really like a good artist and a, a great maker himself. Um, but yeah, it just, uh, Joel kind of had tons of crazy requests and just loved, like, it's just a, it's a fun way of like kind of, you know, making it, everything seem a bit more homemade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my favorite one of the, before you go on, Greg, my favorite one of those woodcut things has to be Wallace Shawn hurling the penguin at the Velociraptor. (laughs) I'm trying to find that prop. I want that prop so bad. I want a t-shirt with Wallace Shawn killing a Velociraptor with a penguin. That is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I was talking to Ivan the other night. He's like, are there any props you really want from the thing? And I was like, well, tons, but I guess like, you know, I don't really, I don't have a very big place, so I was just kind of like, well, maybe the Wallace Shawn Velociraptor thing. He's like, he's like, oh, I think maybe someone already nabbed it, but I'll check. Because I guess there's like just a huge locker uh, full of like a lot of our props. Yeah. So our fan question comes from Philip, uh, and it was, what was up with the occasional bubbles that would uh, fizz through the scenes? Uh, was it an aesthetic choice, or simply used to stitch together uh, different takes? Um, well, it's an aesthetic sh- choice that, uh, goes in line with Kinga's liquid, uh, technology. Uh, and ideally it also helped with, uh, stitching together a couple different takes. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is yes, all of the above. 
Yes, but also notice no bubbles in the uh, kaiju wrap. Yeah. So. No. Nope, but one take, yeah. But, well, I mean, I noticed, like, uh, when we were watching on set, the filming of the Yangri Nights thing, where you took the bite out of the thing, and I was wondering, well, how are they going to do that? How are they going to stitch that together? Yeah. Uh, and, like, oh, the bubbles. The um, bubbles. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, moving on to, uh, we're into the home stretch now, uh, Wizards of the Lost Kingdom Part 1. Um the start of the Dark Knight of the Soul is Joel. Yes. <laughs> now, um, was the uh, the whole older women hitting on magical kids thing just a bit creepy for you? And uh, also, was it exciting to get to riff the work of Bo Svensson, the guy who replaced Joe Don Baker in the Walking Tall series? Follow-up question, will you escape during a Bo Svensson movie? <laughs> um, well, that's a lot of questions. Um... The uh, start the first one because I'm, I'm th- I, I I got stuck on Bo Svensson. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, well, I mean we've got a magical teen wizard hitting puberty, which uh, outside the Harry Potter universe apparently is really creepy. So uh, uh, was the whole older women hitting on magical kids thing just a bit creepy to watch? Yeah, it's really creepy. I mean, like you know, any kind of uh, age gap, uh, you know, in that situation. It's uh, and I, you know, there's I think there's a great South Park episode that kind of uh, makes light of the 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 kind of sexist version where it's like if like a it's a, if like an older man gets a younger girl, it's like it's like all right, uh, or you know, or consider. And I'm sorry, it's like um, considered creepy yeah. uh, in in standards. But then like in that South Park episode when Stan like gets hit on by one of his hot teachers, like every response from a guy is like uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it is like it, it is tricky to kind of like because it is it's you know you can make light of it that that might kind of set someone off um, because it is like it is a, like a creepy thing. There's no denying it. It's just a creepy thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like I guess the '80s just had this thing about filming sexual assaults. So. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it did turn out to be a hideous bug, so that's always. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, weird science is just basically statutory rape the movie, but. Uh, <laughs> That was the original pitch. I want to just call it weird biology, weird science. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, with with uh, Bo Svensson, were you uh, were you guys aware that he was the guy who replaced Joe Don Baker in Walking Tall? So you've sort of got a uh, a Joe Don Baker once removed thing going there. Yeah, we. I mean, we needed some kind of attachment to Joe Don Baker, and uh, I mean, I, I mean, Bo Svensson's been in, like a lot of cool, like weird B movies. So hopefully, we can, you know. But Bo is—he's so fun to watch. Like, yeah, he's not I like, a bad actor at all. Yeah, he's very good, and he's and like English is his second language. Um, he's great in because uh, he's in uh, Inglorious Bastards. He's really good in Inglorious Bastards. He wasn't that, wasn't he? Yeah, the uh, the Quentin Tarantino version. Um, but uh, yeah, he like it's like I'd love to do more Bo Sense because he is fun to play with. I mean, when you if you look at MST as a you know we're playing with the movie. Uh, Bo is pretty fun to play with. Yeah. Now, um, in the uh, in the host segments in the cold open, uh, now we're really getting into the mythology stuff here. Uh, Max gets the controls to uh, Reptilicus Metallicus, I believe it's what they called. Yeah. And we start to see the shape of things to come. Uh, the Mike and Joel era didn't really have really heavily serialized story arcs or plot lines. Most major plot twists got resolved within the same episode. So this yeah. is a bit of a departure. Uh, what's the reasoning behind uh, adding that kind of serialized plot, uh, ongoing plot line? 
Uh, well, you know, I think there were somewhat seasonal arc almost in the sci-fi years. Yeah, a little right? bit. A yeah. little bit. Um, but uh, I think the idea is, is that people watch TV a bit differently now. And um, each episode is able to be watched on its own. Um, but if you watch them in order and pay attention, you're rewarded for it. And that's kind of how I always felt about, um, you know, Arrested Development, uh, or mm -hmm. 30 Rock. And, uh, the, you know, the, you're able to tell this larger story in shorthand mm -hmm. if you're paying attention. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it was just the idea that like Joel, you know, they would back in the day, the episode would air once and then maybe twice, and then it would just be shuffled up with any, every other episode, depending on which one they wanted to show. Yeah. And, and so, um, now that people have Netflix and they'll, you know, they can just decide to watch them all in a row and hopefully will, um, might as well play with that and, you know, utilize that as a way to just kind of tell, a, another, um, another comedic story. Yeah. Now, um, we got a question from a fan, Marcy, who says, uh, when you were filming with the Skeleton Crew Band, were they playing live or faking it? Uh, they were faking it. They, they recorded uh, in the same place where we recorded all the riffs. Um, and, that was, uh, uh, and that was a long day for them, just kind of miming the whole time. Yeah. Uh, just because that, 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 you know, the, to, to do a live sound in that, that warehouse would have been terrible just because of how how cavernous it was. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty standard for music videos anyway, isn't it? Just, uh, you yeah, know, totally. miming. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I remember there was, they were trying to get Harmar to put on the helmet and he's like, uh, well, I can't sing if I have the helmet on, so I'm going to keep it off. Plus I want people to see my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, I mean, that was really cool. There was, that was what was really neat too about that, that like Joel wanted those guys to play, be in the band anyway. And I've known a lot of those guys for years and years and years. I used to, you know, the, uh, the, the bass player was Denver Daly. Um, you know, he was in Desaparecidos with, uh, uh, uh like, uh, with some like, great people. And he, he also was like, he played with Harmar at my wedding and oh, wow. also, and then he also DJed, uh, the dance party that happened, uh, after after they were done playing. And then, um, uh, there's Tony Bella, uh, he, he played, uh, I believe keyboards in the band and he, I used, me and him used to work, uh, him and I, Tony and I, used to work at uh, Amoeba Records together. And so, you know, like years and years ago, we used to work at the same record store. So it's, it was really cool having like, a lot of these guys that I've known for years be a part of it. So was that the same Amoeba Records next to Cinerama? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, where the, where, the, uh, where the premiere in L.A. was, which is also, I used to work there as well. Oh, wow. Oh, well, full circle for you, man. That's got to yeah, be weird. It was a really weird night. It was a really weird night. Um, Especially when his manager asked him to pick up a shift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, I, that that very theater, the Cinerama Dome, is where I had to get up in front of a huge crowd and introduce Episode Three of Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. Oh, nice! That that's is a, that the one where you basically told the crowd it was terrible or something? Yeah, I was I was having a real bad day, um, and because and all these usually that was like the first year that a Star Wars movie hadn't premiered at the Chinese theater mm. in Hollywood. It was at our theater, and um, and so when they they all stood out in line near the Chinese and then did a big march over to our theater, and were terrible to us. They were terrible to the staff. Mm. They um, they they. I saw people purposely just throwing their food on the ground or their empties and their trash. Oh God! Um, and like we were just 
running out of food and like it's it was just a terrible terrible weekend <laughs> and this was like sunday afternoon of like working these you know 10 hour like 12 hour shifts like everyone was doing doubles to try and keep up with everything because we were doing 24 hour cycles of uh of showings yeah all week so like you know and it was just nuts and we and so by the end of it um i was going i was mm-hmm. going out to uh I was going to go introduce the movie because that's what they do at uh, that theater. They have people come out and say, hey, you're here to see blah, blah, blah. Let us know if there's anything wrong. But as I was going out, some guy, like, tried to trip me. And, like, I was like, all right, that's it. Oh, man. These nerds are going down. <laughs> and I just <laughs> they wasted their lives and money. And this movie is terrible. And then a manager saw me afterwards. And I, I was, like, I was baiting him, too. I was, you know, I was like, this is it. This is how you find out how Captain Picard became Darky Vader. <laughs> uh, and then a manager saw me, and he was he was, but he was he was having a bad time too. Every, like all the staff was just like they're like, we can't wait for this weekend to be over. The guy was like, he's like, if I'd fire you if I didn't agree with you. We just got to get through this day, and we'll be done. <laughs> Oddly enough, that was the same thing you said to all the Kickstarter backers uh, at the New York premiere. <laughs> Really uncalled like, for. Fools. <laughs> Fools. Joel and I are headed to Mexico. We're going to Cabo on vacation. Um, moving on. <laughs> Experiment 1111. Wizards of the Lost Kingdom 2. Thank you for giving us both of these gems. Uh, outside, The movie question is, outside of Highlander 2, The Quickening, uh, was this the most worst, most disjointed, sequel ever made to, to, to a movie uh troll troll 2 is pretty uh disjointed from That's troll true. um so i mean it was just uh, it was just a name and a theme it was just i mean at least you got a carradine in there also barely trying <laughs> yeah barely trying well i don't know you got like uh, fat gandalf there too i mean uh, was was he an adequate yoda sensei character you feel or <laughs> <laughs> it was really his hero. It was his hero's journey. It was the uh, it was the good wizard just trying to man up and become a real wizard. And then in the end, what does he what does he do? He works for a kid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh it was awful. <laughs> so, uh, host question is: uh, Kinga decides to marry Jonah Heston uh, as a rating stunt. We find so we got the next you know big story arc plot point. Uh, what is the most humiliating thing Joel ever asked you to do personally uh, as a publicity stunt uh, besides his podcast? Oh, uh, the upcoming tour. Uh, we're going to be going on a big, uh, like, 40-city tour, and now uh, we'll, uh, I think they're going to try and announce that pretty soon. Oh, and wow. it'll be two months straight on a bus. Oh, wow. <laughs> on a bus. That, that sounds... Uh, well, well, good for you. Good for you. The fans will the, the fans will love it, but but good for you for doing that for 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 the fans. We'll see if I have a wife by the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Bring 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 the dog, bring the wife, and, and yeah, just, yeah, exactly. You know, so the fan the fan question uh, is from Dina, uh, and uh, she says, if you could make a sequel to any movie in season eleven, uh, which movie would you choose for a follow up movie? Ooh. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> I don't know, Carnival Magic. 
the further adventures. Um, yeah, I don't know. Oh, you know what? Uh, time travelers. I'd love to see, uh, or even like the land that time forgot. See what the you know, what they yeah. get into after they're there. You know, like the, what kind of society do the two of them build? Or maybe you just follow the 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 message in the bottle bobbing in the ocean for an hour and a half. <laughs> That's all it is. I want to know yeah. what that crusty sailor did after he found the message. Oh yeah, yeah. He just throws it away. He <laughs> goes to a bar. <laughs> it's just him <laughs> sitting in a cinnabon. You know, it's not a very exciting movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah probably. Not a time for All right, and uh, you mentioned Carnival Magic, which is our next. Uh, uh, next movie, Experiment 1112, Carnival Magic. Um, this is the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. I, I don't really have a question for that. I just thought you should know. It is a really, really weird movie. I really thought that Cry Wilderness seems to be the one that's kind of coming out on top as far as like the weirder uh, episodes. Mm. I really thought it was going to be Carnival Magic. Um, also, it has one of my favorite riffs, um, um, I don't think I'm going to make it. Oh, Midnight Chili was a bad idea. <laughs> um, but like, it's, uh, it's just so weird to me. Um, and it's the, the fact that like the story behind it is even weirder. Just like the, like the, the, you know, the kind of the weird pyramid scheme of like the guy trying to get money and then, uh, for the movie and then, uh, finding the carnival, the other guy at the carnival. And then there's also the fact that they made the choice after the movie was all shot to make it. So the, the, the monkey talks, that wasn't a part of the original, um, idea for the movie. So if you notice anytime anyone says the monkey talks, it's off screen. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. Cause I, I hadn't yeah. noticed that. Uh, yeah. and the, and the plus side for carnival magic, hot carny action. Yeah. I... <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Beware of disco fever. Uh, I was, I was just, I guess I was trying to figure out why in the world they would think it was a good idea to make a movie about a talking monkey. Um, <laughs> well, we didn't. <laughs> um, now, uh, the host segment, we're really getting into the weird stuff here. Uh, during the end segment, during the parade on the SOL, we briefly see a flash of Matt McGinnis in a, uh, like a maroon jumpsuit, uh, while being told not to believe what we see, he's credited at the end as Matt Claude Van Dam. Uh, what the hell was that? What does that mean? Alternative universe spinoff show? Uh, uh, you and Matt have to fight in a Thunderdome. What's that mean? That is some uh, some weird alternative uh, alternaverse uh, situation that Joel's got going on. It's well, uh, yeah. I, I, is he the next test subject? I mean, are we are we grooming uh, Mr. McGinnis for a uh, uh, future test subject? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, there's like Joel had a couple different ideas of ways to like to talk about what that is, but he hasn't really uh, he hasn't really brought it to the forefront of the writers' room yet. So so secret secret yeah. secret. Well, well, I mean. When Matt was dressed as a, a bonehead wandering around the set, I mean, he was hysterical in his miming and sort of acting like Mickey Mouse and stuff in between takes. So I don't know what Joel has planned for him, but I, I, I think uh, his future in, in the Mistyverse could be a bright one. Yeah, he's a very funny guy, and he's he's you know works with him over in uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, like yeah, he's a very very funny guy. He was one of the writers too, so it was it was really cool to get to work with him for sure. Now, um, our uh 
fan question, and I'm sure we're going to be dissecting, uh, being fans in the nerdosphere, we dissect things until they are, you know, uh, until we until we take all the fun out of them. That's the that's that's our ultimate goal, <laughs> is to we we take the beautiful bird and and uh, and just uh, stomp on love it, love it till it's dead. So, uh, but so we'll we'll move away from that. And our fan question from Eric is: When you're acting with the robots, uh, is it distracting to have the puppet teams acting next to you, uh, or can you sort of uh, tune that out and and just sort of relate to them as as the bots? Uh, yeah, you don't really. I never, it's, it's funny. I've heard that about people that work on like Muppet stuff where they just, at first you're kind of noticing the puppeteer, but then once the puppet starts talking and they know exactly how to move it. So it just seems like it's really there and you just don't, it's weird. It's, it's weird. It just kind of floats away, especially when you're like performing, you kind of just go into that reality yeah. and you kind of go, Oh yeah, I'm just talking to a crow. I'm talking to Servo. So one thirteen. The Christmas that almost wasn't. Oh God. What the hell was up with all the creepy baby fetish talk? I mean, whose uh, idea was that, and why didn't you stop them, Jonah? Why? Well, come on, look at look at look at that guy. He wants <laughs> wants to be a little baby. <laughs> he really wants it. He just wants a mommy and a daddy. He's, I mean, he's so he's putting up Christmas decorations in his town on his own accord. He's a weird <laughs> little man. And it, was, it was probably Easter, you know. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, you know, I, I gotta say, it made my skin crawl. And you guys just hammered that <laughs> bit home, the whole thing. And it just—I mean, I, I, I watched the room uh, at the Dino Hotel. We watched it, and people were just creeped out beyond belief <laughs> oh instead of a laugh it was basically like oh <laughs> uh, right. yeah it's i mean like but it's it, everyone when all the writers noticed it like when all the when everyone notices it separately and then kind of starts talking about it it just becomes the thing you need to do <laughs> so uh in the host segments elliot and joel are back as santa and dear god whittle baby uh. <laughs> and um, more importantly, though, uh, do you really know the lyrics to "Good King Wenceslas"? I do not. I had to uh, I had to uh, bone up on that a bit. Uh, and good thing the bit stopped there. So I <laughs> yeah. would have died out somewhere around the feast of Stephen, and then you're just you're done. Yeah, exactly. And also, like it's like I like it's like I know the song, but I had no idea really what they were saying. Like you know, I. It was a very big learn. I had to learn a lot of things, and that was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our fan question for the Christmas that almost wasn't uh, comes from Andrew, uh, and he wants to know, is there enough material for a blooper reel like uh, the, the, the poopy episodes uh, that they did from earlier seasons? Yeah, I believe. I mean, we had a ton of mess-ups and stuff here and there, so uh, I, I believe they're going to put together a poopy reel for the DVD release. Oh, Nice. nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so there will be a DVD release, hopefully something that uh, everybody can buy, I, I'm hoping, and not just necessarily Kickstarter backers. I believe so. I mean, uh, I mean that's, that's you know. They should shout, get it first, obviously. Shout Factory's bread and butter is DVD releases, so yeah. I don't yeah. see why they wouldn't just continue to do so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, there's one thing I'm very surprised that they just haven't even, like someone bootleg put up on YouTube the, the, the kaiju rap 
and it's got like a ton of views already. And I'm just like, I'm like, nah, they should have done that themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they should. Yeah. Uh, now we're at, we're at the end, uh, so far, uh, 1114 at the earth's core. Um, and, uh, my first questions are, so what the hell's up with Grand Marf- Moff Tarkin and his bamboo arrows? And why the hell don't you leave poor Doug McClure alone? That poor man. <laughs> Listen, why are you guys defending Doug McClure so much? I just, I happen to think that both of his movies were among the strongest just on their own of this season as movies. They are. They are very good movies. Uh, But, you know, we have to make fun of something. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just trying to figure out where you decided that Doug McClure was just uh, what it was about always wanting to eat. I mean, he wasn't a particularly obese gentleman. I mean, his face looked sort of beefy. Burping up chicken wings every second. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just, there there was something that uh, I think Joel really, like, wanted to put on. Like, it's always fun to put a a character trait onto another character. Like the little baby or, (laughs) you know, (laughs) uh, or, you know, anything like that. Uh, So it just, it gives them... Just like a guy, and it's less about his size. I think it's more about it's just like a guy that just would rather be just going to a bar, drinking and eating some wings, than you know doing whatever it is he's doing. Until until of course he finds a girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I wondered is why he was so insistent on saving this civilization instead of getting back to his mole ship and fixing it. Yeah. No, so, that's that's him, man. Ladies, huh? Yeah. Oh, that. Now, um. The wedding scene, uh, you know, we see the Kickstarter backers, his brain guys, extended family, and and Jonah is eaten and presumably killed by a horrible robot worm monster. Uh, but the question is, who the hell's in your spacesuit walking on the hull during the end credits? Maybe it's me. Ah. I sure hope it's you. Uh, Maybe it's a little baby. Yeah, because, I mean, oh, stop it, Greg. Um. That is that you know that's the spacesuit I've been working on all season. So uh, you know uh, the uh, that Reptilicus Metallicus. I don't think it has a digestive system. And uh, being a guy that knows how to make his way through some mechanical mechanical situations, uh, that could easily be me. Yeah. Did you build Me- Metallicus Reptilicus? How would he have done that? Jonah uh, Heston. I mean, is it was it like a setup for Max all along? Ooh. Maybe it was a way for me to try and get out? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, our fan question is, yeah, you're going to show up next season intact and covered in robot slime, right, right, and then in parentheses, nervous, panicked laughter. <laughs> That's from Andrew. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Joel from the get-go said to me, like, he's like, you know, he's like, I did about 100. Mike did about 100. He's like, you'll do about 100 if you want to. Um and so, uh, you know, I, I, I said it before, um, they'll take this role away from me when they pry it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, I mean, we do have the weird thing going on with Purple Jumpsuit, uh, with Matt, and the, the name of, of the production company is Alterniversal. So I, I'm, I'm spinning grand conspiracy theories. You know, I, I, I really, you know, that was an intriguing little thing. Pay attention you know, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. So no clue where that's headed. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully we'll be able to explore all that stuff in more detail as we go along. And this is uh, a question I'm pretty sure I know the answer to, but uh, I would be crucified if I didn't ask it. Um, 
I may be crucified eventually anyway. It's always how I figured I was going to die. But uh, uh, any any ideas on when, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when we might hear about a season 12? Um, no, you know, it's uh, it just came out. Uh, the, the reviews have been great. The fan interaction has been really good. Um, I'd, I'd only say I like it's a lot as far as what the, from my experience doing making shows for different networks. The one thing like it's like the less they care about views and ratings, the more they care about uh, what they call cultural penetration. And yeah. essentially, what that means is like people making memes out of different aspects of the episode, uh, parts of the show being uh, put up online, um, and just uh, you know animated gifs. Uh, and and so on. So it's um it's I think it's one of those things where it's it's good because I rarely does Netflix ever seem to not do a second season of anything. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh. It's you know it's it's hard to say with this business. You know. Um. I just hope that uh everyone keeps on watching it and telling their friends. Um. There's like a thing that like I put off watching when Doctor Who came back. I put off watching it because I was like, oh well, I never saw all that original Doctor Who. Yeah. I was just like, I don't, I don't know how to do it. Um, and then uh, a couple of people told me, they're like, it's like, oh, no, no, you can you can just dive in now. You don't have to worry about the history. They, like, when they mention the history, it's like, it's not a big, it's it's not like a big deal. You can still get past it when the new episodes are going on. Yeah. And so that's all I really, like, want to say to people <clears throat> who are enjoying the new season, just tell their friends about it and say that, you know, just if, and if their friends go, well, I don't know. I never still watched the original just say, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. just a guy, robots making fun of bad movies. Yeah. Everything you need to know is spelled out for you in the, uh, in the theme song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, um, it carries its backstory with it. You know, everything you need to know at the end of that song. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'd say just like, you know, like if people just keep on telling their friends and, and just telling them to kind of check it out, um, you know, we're we're probably issuing for another season. Yeah, and I absolutely, gotta... and and uh, we we're holding you to that that hundred uh, episode thing, Jonah. Uh, <laughs> we, we you don't don't be the bridge between the old and the new series and go all Christopher Eccleston on us. You know, <laughs> we 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 need you to stick around. Uh, yeah, I'll, I... I'll be your Eccleston and your tenant. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fanboy out for a minute and be completely unprofessional and just say I think you guys are just doing a. Of just a fucking bang up job. This season is amazing. It already contains uh, several episodes that have cracked my top ten list. You know, wow. in this season, uh, just I mean, the Beast of Hollow Mountain. It, it to me is right up there with like Space Mutiny and Final Sacrifice. Just as yeah, I like that one too. It's it's just there's uh, so. Yeah, I mean, you guys are doing a, a just a bang up job. It's it's everything I hoped it would be uh, for the last year and a half. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, th- thanks, Ryan. That means a lot. Um, it's uh, it feels good, and it also feels weird. It feels like uh, like wow. It's I mean, people people generally, and I'm just like, and I'm not even looking at what people are saying to me, uh, which is generally positive. But I'm also looking at like the hashtags, and it's rare that. Um, you know, the super fans will have their gripes, but that's just what being a super fan is. If mm-hmm. you're not, you're not a super fan if you don't have some qualms with something, you know, it's just the way it is. It's, uh, even my favorite bands, I kind of go, ah, that's, that song could have been a little shorter. Who am <laughs> I to, to, you know, a band, but 
the uh, the thing is, it's like it's 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 overwhelming how positive the response has been. And I, 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 as a guy that has a hard time taking compliments or anything positive happening in their life, it's, it's crazy. It's mm. just, it's, it's cuckoo banana balls and I don't know how to handle it. And that's why, but I appreciate you saying that. Well, um, we've done it. Jonah Ray, you've spoiled everything, <laughs> uh, as promised. And, and thanks for, for coming on. Um, you got any final thoughts? No. <laughs> well, thanks for letting haven't us. We, haven't we asked enough of this? I man? know we have tortured you for an hour and a half, but we're deeply appreciative of it. And uh, the, the 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 fans, old and new, we're will we'll appreciate hearing from you too. And thanks again, Jonah, for uh, being just really accessible to the fans uh, uh, and uh, agreeing to do this uh, this uh, two bit joke that we call a podcast for the second time in a row uh so oh no uh, of course of it, course man yeah it's it's been uh, really cool and uh you guys are just doing a, a fantastic job everybody there is just great in the role and it's it's really like it never left i felt like when i started watching this like oh i could have watched the last mike episode yesterday so i mean that's that's it's everything that uh that i hoped it would be it's it's just a you guys did a bang up job oh thanks man i really appreciate it All right, that's the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. What about the soda? (laughs) Oh, God, we forgot to drink the soda. Uh, Let's just assume that it was terrible because Greg hates me. Yeah, that's that's a safe assumption. Peace out, everybody.